Welcome to the fittest podcast in Oakland, where your favorite coaches talk everything to help make you a better person inside and outside of the gym. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Fittest Podcast in Oakland. Today's episode is all about gym gear. What you should fill your gym bag with, the advantages, disadvantages of gym gear, Nick and Ben's favorite pieces of gym gear, you know, wrist wraps, belts, tape, shoes, underwear, you name it, we talk it. The goods, the bads, the uglies, our thoughts on all of it. Yes, it all depends, but we have a lot of good thoughts, kind of conversation, even debates that might help you understand how gear can help you and how it might actually be hurting you and ways in which you can use it in the gym and ways in which you maybe shouldn't use it in the gym. Uh, so listen up, enjoy, and let us know what questions you have. Back on the podcast, it's Nick and Ben, and we're talking gear, gear, gear. fun things, like gym bag things, like all the toys and things you could want in the gym, and why you should have them, why you shouldn't have some, and kind of our opinions on some things that people might not want, and some things people might go, oh, I might need that now. We're going to start really simple, and then we're going to play a fun card game to decide what we talk about each time. So the first topic we're going to talk about is shirts. So t-shirts, Nick. What are your thoughts? Uh, The more spandex, the better. (laughs) I like the breathable shirts. That's pretty much it. (laughs) Yes. So first thing first is wear a shirt to the gym. We don't care if you take it off or anything like that, but have a t-shirt. Um, mainly one because you can wipe some of that sweat as I saw many a client do in today's workout off of your face, hands and things like that. So it is, if nothing else, a sweat rag for you. Two, it will make you feel comfortable and potentially warmer, i.e. we are going into those winter months so a, a long sleeve t-shirt or sweatshirt may help the warm up feel a little bit better if you have something on your body. So I think that's where the t-shirts come in. Of course, Keep them semi-appropriate. I mean, we all have funny CrossFit slogans and things like that. So I don't think that's too bad. Um, we, you know, we love the dog mom, uh, uh, scaled AF, suck it up buttercup t-shirts that we all know and love and laugh about. Um, other than that, nothing crazy. I mean, tank tops in the summer are great. I would watch you know, front squats and cleans without a good t-shirt on because you get a little slippery, but no big constraints on t-shirts or things. Sometimes I would say you might want sleeves if you're doing certain types of ring rows or ring dips or muscle ups. Can kind of rub your arms there a little bit funky. But other than that, no real problems with t-shirts. So if you do need new t-shirts, this is a good excuse to get them. So, all right, Nick, would you like to draw first? Sure. All right, flipping card one and we got a five. A five, sleeves, so sleeves. And we're not talking t-shirt sleeves. We are talking knee sleeves, elbow sleeves, and maybe knee wraps. All right, so what are those, Nick, first? Uh, So when I think sleeves, again, the first thing that comes to mind is knee sleeves, right? And those come in usually like three millimeters, five millimeters, and seven millimeters. In case you didn't know that, there's a little fun fact for you. And they are essentially compression sleeves. That's what they are first and foremost. They give your knees a little warmth and they give you that little extra bounce when you're coming out of the squat of your, uh, coming out of the hole of your squat, excuse me. Um, That's the sleeves we see in here. And just like, as we'll talk about soon, you know, these are not like braces. These are not gonna actually like 
stop your knee from going somewhere you don't want it to go. Um, but they're very helpful, like I said, if you got lots of volume on your squats, something like that, um, they can be nice and snug and cozy and helpful to bounce up out of there. They're a, they're a warm pair of shoes or a warm pair of slippers. Is yes. what I'm say. They make you comfortable. Um, I think they're a great tool for some heavy squatting days, like three and five rep squat heavies, you know, some heavy cleans, some heavy snatches. Um, I would not wear them all the time. You know, like today's workout, we do a ton of wall balls. I actually wouldn't recommend them because I think you're gonna overheat your knees and overwork your knees. Um, I think it's one of those things that if you really struggle to squat without them on, you should probably think about what's actually going wrong in the knees with the tendons and things and look at how you're warming up your knees, how you're warming up your hips and your ankles and in the motor patterns. Nick and I have been talking a lot about how people lunge and how to help people lunge better. And a lot of times if we can't do things on a single leg, that's what determines the knee pain that we have. So getting those sleeves for certain things, totally fine, totally okay. We like that, they're fun. Watch out, they will stink. Um, but if you expect them to be braces, i.e. what I sometimes wore in football to protect my ACL from ripping in half, um, I can promise you they are not the same things because I could not bend my knee past a certain angle with braces on. <laughs> or, yeah. Nor could I twist and turn my knee. Um, which was okay for the position I played in football, but you'll notice that there are a lot of wide receivers and other people who are cutting, moving, that do not wear those things because they need that change of direction and angle and stuff like that. So that's where understanding that compression has benefits, but it is not the end-all be-all answer. And most likely, if there is pain or discomfort there without them, we need to fix that problem and not just try and bandage it or hold it up with a knee sleeve. Now, we didn't talk about the difference between a knee sleeve and a knee wrap, right? Do you wanna talk about that, Nick? Uh, I don't have a ton of experience using wraps. I've seen them before in all of my ollie lifting videos that I love watching. Um, but do they essentially do the same thing as knee sleeves, just to a tighter degree? Yes. So knee wraps actually try and mimic a brace and the fact that they are tied so tight and most likely they are tied by someone else, not yourself. Now you will see people put them on themselves. Unfortunately, we are usually too kind to ourselves to use them. Um, and what they do is create again, further compression. So it is much harder to bend your knee, even though you can to the point that some people, um, power lifters, Olympic lifters, cannot bend their knee until the load is on them, i.e. there are some power lifters who will get those knee wraps tied so tight that until they get to 400, 500 pounds, they can't go below parallel because the compression of the knee wrap won't allow it. So fantastic if we're looking at maximal loading, um, terrible if you're looking at actually moving your knee through ranges of motion which a lot of times we forget is most important in here, maintaining and gaining ranges of motion uh, with strength. So I think they serve a purpose if, you know, we have the total coming up and you know how to squat and knee wraps, by all means, bring them out, hit that one rep back squat really, really strong. I hope you have somebody to quickly take them off of you <laughs> when you're done. But I think otherwise, there's something you might wanna watch and not always use because they're just gonna limit that range of motion on your knee, which is gonna cause more problems in the long term. All right? I think that covers sleeves. Yeah. I, we didn't talk elbow sleeves. Elbow sleeves are just like knee sleeves. Um, just some people wear them from the elbows. You'll see power lifters and benchers kind of use that from time to time. Again, same idea. If you get elbow tendonitis or elbow things like that, um, unlike what Brett Favre promises in his Copper Fit commercials, Bread. <laughs> they, they don't quite work that way. So they're a good way to add compression, make you feel a little bit better, but they're not going to help heal or rebuild or strengthen those tendons to make that elbow joint feel better. So kind of think about that and all the things you can do there. Cool. My turn to draw. Right, let's see what we got. Two shoes. All right. All right. We're talking kicks. <laughs> Everybody loves them. Yep. So. Unfortunately, we're not talking Jordans or high heel shoes, or maybe you wear your Vans or whatever you got. What type of shoes are we talking about, Nick? So we got running shoes, 
We got the classic Nike Metcon that everyone in CrossFit loves. We got Ollie lifting shoes, and we're also going to talk a little bit about barefoot shoes, which I am a fan of. Vivo Barefoot, this is my plug if you want to sponsor <laughs> me at some point, now's the time. Uh, so I wear barefoot shoes a lot. They just have a very flat sole, um, and I think they're fantastic for anything you're going to be doing in a gym. Lifting weights, um, running, just make sure that you're on a surface that does not have lots of pebbles. Um, and I will sometimes uh, really skip the ollie shoes and just squat heavy in my barefoot shoes because I feel a lot more stable with that uh, very flat sole and all the sensory feedback I could possibly want. So let's, let's pull the thread on that sensory feedback. So what we're looking at with shoes or with training and feet is one we want to feel our feet connected. That's one of the biggest things you can do if you have knee pain, ankle pain, hip pain, or even foot pain is work on connecting and strengthening your feet with what you do. So if you move and can understand, oh, this is how I pressure through my big toe. This is how I pressure through my pinky toe. This is how I pressure through my heel. This is how I create a tripod with my foot. Boom, you can create magic with that. And that's why if you go to a physical therapist, podiatrist, orthopedic, they'll talk a lot about how the foot impacts everything up the chain. If you didn't realize, your foot is the first thing to create contact and create force. So if you're not thinking about what are my feet doing in the shoes that I have, you need to. And it's not a massive thought, but kind of give it some thought. So first thing, as Nick talked about, be barefoot. Um, I am a big fan of that in the gym. I'm actually barefoot right now. (laughs) Hopefully my feet don't smell. Uh, But um, it's something like around your house. Get in touch with your feet being open, touching the ground, feeling that out. Yes, you can wear socks with this. You don't have to though, but get them open and moving and stretching. That will help a lot of folks who have knee pain, foot pain, and all of that rebuild those feet. It's actually what um, podiatrists recommend when you have plantar fasciitis, when you have ankle issues. They give you all sorts of drills to strengthen the foot. Um, If you wear orthotics, it's actually something you can actually do to take down those orthotics or even get rid of them. If you talk to a physical therapist and you talk to podiatrists, those are the exercises. Whether or not you do them is whether or not they probably prescribe you orthotics. Um, so you can kind of balance that out and work with that in those settings. Now, I will challenge Nick because sometimes we will put on the barefoot shoes and we will immediately wear them 24 hours, 48 hours, all in a row, and you'll go, my feet are killing me. Just like anything, you have to progressively overload. If you try to go from zero to 60, you're going to find that those feet hurt a lot faster than you'd like. So if you do want to invest in a pair of barefoot shoes or things like that, make sure that you don't just jump into it. Like I have some barefoot shoes and trainers. I barely work out in them because they just crush the feet so much. So I spend more time just barefoot around the house than I do anything else. And that helps my feet feel better. Um, but I totally understand, and Nick's watched me in here several times, do completely barefoot sessions to reconnect and re-strengthen my feet. In the gym, we can do that on a one-on-one basis. Sometimes it gets a little tricky in class, but if you're careful and you're watching the people around you, you can protect your feet and not smash them with a plate weight or thing like that. All right? Nick, when would you wear running shoes? Well, as we all know, I hate running. (laughs) So I don't own a pair of running shoes. (laughs) Uh, Okay, my Vivos are my running shoes. But for other people that do enjoy running, you want to wear running shoes. This is going to be a big shock, I believe, when you're going to run. I have personal clients that wear running shoes, those big like Hoka's. Uh, We were just talking about it earlier with those huge soles on the bottom. Uh, And they wear those to our training sessions and they cannot figure out why they have no stability when they're trying to work a split squat, squat, anything like that. Um, And we were just talking about this earlier. Again, as we know, time and place for everything. Um, But those running shoes in the gym just don't really give you the support or sensory feedback, as we were just talking about, that you're going to want when you're lifting things. But by all means, will they boost the hell out of your feet when you're out running around? I think about it like this. If I'm going to bounce... I am going to run, I'm going to walk, I'm going to jump, I'm going to hop, I'm going to do a bunch of those things. 
yeah, I want to look at a cushioned shoe a little bit. I want to have something that has a little bit of cushion to absorb some of the load that I'm going to put on the ground until I'm really, really good or really, really trained in a barefoot shoe to run. So um, this is where I would recommend an outside resource of some type of running store. Go get properly sized and see gait cycle on how you strike the ground when you walk and when you run because they'll recommend a different shoe for you based on that. And that's super important if you are doing consistent running operations and things like that. Um, the other thing, this will also come back to when we talk CrossFit shoes uh, in the gym, those have a shelf life. So I think the number <coughs> is 300 to 500 miles, um, give or take, or if you don't know, six months to a year. So if you have a pair of running shoes that are four or five years old like me, you probably need to buy new ones before you consistently start using them as running shoes. That doesn't mean you can't come to the gym with running shoes. We're not saying go buy a new pair of shoes just to come to the gym, but understand the limitations that those shoes might cause you. So when Nick turns to you and goes, hey, why don't you try the next set without any shoes on? It's probably because he sees you wobbling in your feet and wants you to be able to control and feel your feet on the ground. And that's fine. We totally get that and that's why we, We'll never ban running shoes per se, <laughs> um, but it's something you need to understand and kind of think about when you are using your shoes in here. Totally, and I think that segues very well into something kind of, again, we're talking about feet right now. Your feet are the foundation for everything you're gonna do. Run, lift, walk, whatever that might be. Uh, just stand. So if you have issues in your foundation, it doesn't matter how perfect things are up the line. All right? It's just like a building. You have a crappy foundation and things coming down at some point eventually. Um, so having the proper you know, footwear, i.e. the proper foundation for the scenario, for whatever your workout might be, is uh, super important. Yeah. And I think that goes right into the next piece on if I'm looking at CrossFit shoes. What shoes do I generally want in the gym? So I want a almost zero drop or flat soled stiff shoe. So if you look at any of the CrossFit shoes or training shoes that are branded to people who do CrossFit lifting or things like that, they all have that. Innovates, Metcons, Nanos, the Nobles, they all have that. I can't remember what the heck the Under Armour one is nowadays, but they all have something like that. They're a very flat-soled shoe. They have a little bit of give, but they're pretty stiff. And that is to give you that response through the floor and allow you to push through the floor and feel the feedback and feel that flatness against the earth. Um, but also have the spring and bounce to go do other things. You, know, you take that and you amplify it, that's what turns into an Olympic lifting shoe. Uh, so we just really wanna think about that when we're coming in the gym or looking to go buy the next pair of shoes for the gym is, oh, what am I gonna do with these shoes? Am I just going to use them in the CrossFit gym? Fantastic, then let's focus those in on what that looks like. Am I gonna do them for walking around, shopping, all the other things, and going to the CrossFit gym? Oh, okay, well, I better think about that. You know, all those pieces, parts, you wanna pay attention to what that shoe's gonna do for you. All right, Nick, let's talk about your favorite shoes. Oh yeah. All these shoes. All the lifting shoes. Uh, so, I'll, again, um, Ollie lifting shoes are fantastic if you are gonna be doing some Ollie lifting, right? I think it's pretty clear no one's gonna be doing a Metcon in their Ollie shoes, at least I hope not. Um, but one thing that is very important is to, again, getting back to the movement patterns, training the movement patterns first before you start putting on the shoes that are gonna assist, essentially, mm -hmm. right? We talk a lot about how um, we want you know, whoever is doing whatever to be able to move properly before they start grabbing gear. That's gonna, you know, and I hate to use this word, but like, you know, we don't want it to be a crutch or something that is what is allowing you to do said movement as opposed to, hey, maybe it's time to stretch out your ankles and focus on some hip mobility so you can get down in that deep overhead position as opposed to just grabbing the shoes immediately. Um, I actually didn't buy my first pair of Ollie lifting shoes until I was about six months into training ollie lifts because again i just wanted to make sure i knew what i was doing i like the support that a flat shoot offers first and foremost yeah i think i think i didn't buy my first pair until two years after i think i i got a hand-me-down or shared pair in my high school weight room for a little while oh yeah <laughs> well let's not talk about that because i'm sure those were nasty but 
Um, yeah. And so the things I think about with an Oli shoe, it does two things. One, it gives support and structure to the foot. So it's very, very stable. If you've never felt them, they're going to hold your foot. So fantastic. That's great when you're snatching, cleaning, and jerking, you have that feedback. Second thing, there is an elevated heel. Now, this is an interesting category because there are all sorts of ranges with the heels. I can't remember the numbers, but they go from very small to very high. I believe an inch is the highest heel you'll see. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that is fantastic if we think about positioning the body to stay upright in a squat or a snatch or a clean. Um, it's really good for that. And that ankle dorsiflexion elevates immensely there. Um, so you can get your knee towards your toes and things like that and properly position yourself in an upright spot. Fantastic for that. Now, what I'd argue, and I've even helped Nick with this when he came in and was doing all his squats and his only shoes, I said, do a cycle without him. And now he has more ankle range of motion than he ever did before. Yeah. So I think that's one thing you can learn is maybe sometimes taking steps back helps you take steps forward. So I think that's where the shoes come in. Not to say never use them. I pop mine out every once in a while when I'm looking for some fun. But for the most part, they stay tucked in the office away. Uh, I think Nick uses his what, every day, give or take. Uh, yeah, but I, I love squatting in the barefoot shoes. Like I will most, you know, sometimes if I'm feeling a little lazy, I'll squat in the ollie shoes. But like I really, really prefer doing my snatches, doing my clean and jerks in the ollie shoes and then popping back on to the flat soles for the squats. Um, again, it's just, yeah, the ollie shoes do make you feel a little more stable, but it's a lot easier to start wriggling around in those <laughs> bottom positions, right? Um, when you wear the barefoot shoes, you're gonna drive up a lot more through your quads usually, as opposed to maybe, you know, cheating your way up with a little extra heel lift. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's where it comes in. So. Think about that when you're using your shoes and all that type of stuff. Um, anything else on shoes? No, I, mean, I think that's it. Just, you know, pick the, pick the right pair for the occasion. Oh, the other thing I'll say is two things. One, um, if they're muddy and dirty, don't let me catch you with them in the gym because <laughs> I have a hose for you to find them with. Two, um, secrets to make them not smell so bad, dryer sheets. Uh -huh. So if you have sweaty, nasty gym shoes like myself, find a dryer sheet can be unscented, but scent it's nice. They'll smell a little bit better and dry out for you. So my little tips and tricks around shoes, if you're one of those people who's, who struggle with those things. But please, 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 if you're gonna go hiking in your gym shoes, clean them before you come in the gym. For yourself and the person who's gonna use your square after you, they really appreciate not having muddy soles all over their square. It's true, us coaches do not like mopping. All right, Nick. You're up. All Pick right. a card. What do we got? Let's go with this one. All right. Jack. Ooh, the watch. Watches and wearables. Okay. So, again, once more, this is one that I have zero experience in. I have never worn a watch. I mean, I've worn... Yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever really worn a watch. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a millennial. We got cell phones. They got things that tell time for you. But... <laughs> There is plenty of interesting data that you can collect off of these watches that I'm sure Ben has plenty of knowledge about. So let's talk, what is a wearable? A wearable is a device that you wear um, to create data about your body. So it can be a Fitbit, an Apple Watch, it can be a Whoop, it can be a heart strap, it can be an Aura Ring, it can be a glucose monitor, it can be um, an insulin monitor, it can be, oh, what else do I got? Um, it can be a VO2 monitor if you've ever been strapped into one of those. Um, there's all sorts of things like that. The big things we see in the, in the gym are heart rate monitors. So that would be the chest strap that goes around your body. Um, we'll see Fitbits, we'll see Apple watches and we'll see whoops. Um, so I'll type, I'll keep mainly on those. So if you want to talk glucose monitors, insulin monitors and things like that, uh, I'm happy to talk those things. They're kind of fun to talk about and interesting to explore. Um, if you want to talk sleep stuff, we can talk that too. So first, understand the purpose of those devices. Those devices use algorithms based on um, what the watch sends them in feedback. So what they're doing is they have a bunch of smart people who have created different algorithms to calculate and guess what you're doing when you do fitness, um, which is fantastic. It actually helps us track things and see things. Um, but understand the accuracy of that. 
If you were to go into a laboratory and get researched, that would not be what they use. <laughs> so there is a data set that's kind of off there. So just understand that. So it's not an end-all be-all. Um, but it is something to track. But just understand what it's giving you. So if it's on your wrist, it's not a heart rate. It's a pulse rate because your heart's in your chest, not your wrist. So remember that. Um, so pulse rate's good. It gives you an idea. Um, but what I'll tell you is if you are more worried about your heart rate or pulse rate in a workout, you're not working hard enough in the workout. <laughs> there are things and times we might look to control heart rate, but if you're not consistently um, studying that and looking that to peak performance, i.e., I mean, you are doing intervals where you are trying to spike your heart rate or hold your heart rate at a certain level and then let it lower or relax back down before you start the next interval, there's not much point in trying to control your heart rate within the workout. Now, I say that, and I say that kind of wrongly. There is a point to controlling your heart rate, but monitoring your heart rate by staring at your watch and not working is not the point. <laughs> the point of controlling your heart rate would be, what's the pace at which I'm moving? Am I breathing? And am I controlling my movement patterns such that I'm not stressing myself out? Because the biggest thing I remind people of is, okay, we say we shouldn't go above this heart rate. And then I ask them, are you gonna do a presentation at work? Because that's probably gonna spike your heart rate. Are you gonna get pissed at your child when they do something stupid and frustrate you? That's probably gonna spike your heart rate. Are you going to um, have intimate time with your significant other that you would really enjoy? Hint, hint, wink, wink, nod, nod. Um, that might create some elevated heart rates. <laughs> if we think about all those things, elevated heart rates are good. So don't be afraid to spike them or have them go up. Um, but one thing you might want to think about is how do I manage and control them in a workout? That's actually something I think about all the time when I'm coaching. How do I warm up people so their heart rate spikes before three, two, one, go in the workout? That way we can gradually raise the heart rate through the workout instead of just spiking it and kind of crashing you in the workout, which is not our goal. That said, it's a great way to kind of look at it. In addition to that, if you are tracking your fitness, like everybody who I look at and they, when I go three, two, one, go, they have their Apple watch, they're hitting go on it to track what they're doing. Or as Robin would make fun of us, her whoop, making sure that it's telling her how optimal she is in her strain or not optimal she is in her strain. Um, it's fantastic. It's a way to measure and track data. But one, what are you doing with the data? Two, are you using the data to hold you back? Because it's plain and simple, the data is there, but if you don't do the work, it doesn't matter. So um, it's a great game, in my mind, to use and develop and work through. I think you should definitely think about it um, because it might be the game that keeps you consistent. And we all know if you are consistent with your health and fitness practices, you're gonna make greater progress. So just kind of think about that as you're wearing your wearables. Uh, that doesn't mean don't wear them. That doesn't mean do wear them. Just think about the impacts of them. There is a great book if you really wanna delve into wearables. It's called Unplugged. Um, it talks about what each wearable does and then also why maybe you shouldn't use it or other ways to recognize that in your body. So the big purpose of the book is to go, here's what wearables do and then here's how you can learn to use that or develop that in your body. So basically what they're saying is use the wearable to understand your body and then learn how to do it without the wearable, which is really what's most important for you. And you should be able to wake up and go, oh, I feel like poop today. I should probably not train that hard. Or, oh, I feel really good. I should go crush it. And be able to recognize those feelings and more, it's more like a body feeling than an emotional feeling and separate the two there. So that's where wearables can help with that. Is this more emotional or is this more physical and what's going on there? So does that kind of help explain it, Nick? Yeah, I mean, that sounds great. Wearables. Don't forget, wearables. Apple is collecting all of your health data. Don't forget, guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Also, I'll go into that. That's also cool because also wearables can help you when you're talking to your doctor and give you some other ideas and data points to help you talk to your doctor about, hmm, some of these health numbers don't look good to me. How do I improve them and things like that? Also, it can help us if you're working with us one-on-one. -on -one. This is something we can talk in a private training session. Um, I can talk about, hey, well, let's look at your strain over the last four days. Wow, geez, you're through the roof. Maybe the reason you're feeling hurt or injured is because you're not recovering from the strains that you're putting on your body. And remember, those strains are not just the ones in the gym. All those other stressors Absolutely. count too.
So, all right. That, I think, covers wearables. Love it. All right. Next card here. Four. What do we got? Straps. Straps. Ooh. You want to start or shall I start? I'll start. I'll start. So what is a strap? A strap is something that goes around your wrist to help you hold on to the barbell. It is a way in which to take the grip factor out of the equation. It won't totally take it out, but it can definitely help improve it. I.e., if I'm doing really, really heavy deadlifts and it just keeps slipping out of my hands, I will put on a strap to help that. Usually that's not what I'm looking for when I'm doing heavy deadlifts, more like what I'm doing when I'm doing Romanian deadlifts and I have high volumes of 10 to 15 repetitions there. So I wanna make sure that I'm focused on strengthening my hamstrings and my grip is not the limiting factor to developing my hamstrings. So. Yeah, and I think they're uh, great for certain ollie lifts. Again, if you're gonna be working from the hang, they definitely have a benefit there to keep those arms relaxed. Make sure you're not just pulling up with those arms when your legs should be doing all the work. But yeah, they're not something you would really wanna see in like a PR attempt or something like that. Um, so yeah, once again, you know, time and a place for them. They have their benefits, but you know, we just gotta make sure that we know why we're using them and you know, which movements are going to benefit most from having them there. So I shouldn't use them when I'm doing my farmer's carries? I mean, as cushy as that'll help it feel, that is unfortunately <laughs> not the goal, right? No, I think again, people forget with straps too, like when we deadlift, that grip is the very first thing to go. Pretty much always, right? And don't get me wrong, the straps are great to help you maybe put a little more weight on there, get a little more burn in those hammies, right? But if we really, really, really want to approach the limiting factor of our deadlifts, <laughs> you're going to want to drop the straps and focus on just getting that grip strength up. And so, yeah, uh, back to the farmer carries. Yeah. Uh, no, I will, I will not allow straps on farmer carries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's another way to use straps. Um, one way in which someone like me who has a wrist injury... Um, it's to help me get into a front rack sometimes. So you'll see me put that up there, use a strap to help me get into a certain position that my wrist just won't get into some days, um, which is great. So we can talk about that too. We also will do that with a back squat. If you've ever had a shoulder injury where you can't get into that position, using the strap to kind of safety bar it without a real safety bar is great sometimes. So there's some tricks we can do with straps like that and that's where they also come in handy in case of injury. Totally. Um, with that. Yeah, and I agree. I'm a big believer in those straps on the front squats. But again, that's something you're doing with light load just in those warm-up sets, and they are very beneficial for that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right, next card. Draw it, Nick. All right. Number nine. Ooh. Undergarments. undergarments. Yeah, you probably, wow. <laughs> probably didn't think this one was on the podcast, but it is, in fact, gear. We're talking undergarments. I will keep it simple for me. Once again, more spandex, more polyester, the better that workout's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, so this is one of my, this is probably my number one piece of gear. Yeah, it's my number one piece of gear. Compression shorts for me. So um, when I wear, actually I always wear underwear when I work out. <laughs> now you know too much about me, but that's okay. Um, but compression shorts. I hate chafing, I hate those problems that it causes. So when I, I learned a long time ago, compression shorts. So I have a stack and they get washed. Thank goodness. Um, and it's really important for me. So if you've never tried exercising in compression shorts and you're wearing cotton things and things like that, um, give it a shot because I think honestly you'll find it's more supportive, holds things together, um, both male and female. It's actually great. Um, if you've never tried Lulu's underwear where it's all laser cut and like fabulous, give it a shot because it feels great. <laughs> um, Nike has some great stuff too there. So that's really important. Um, compression kind of thing about that. So maybe getting away from those old school cotton boxers or things like that. Um, I, it was my saving grace in basic training. If you ever want to hear stories, sneaking compression shorts into <laughs> basic training. So I didn't have to wear whitey tighties. Um, and I promise you it saved my life. So, but um, that's kind of it there. No other big things. Try and keep your underwear from showing. That is one thing we always appreciate. Um, this is a subject also we'll talk about, although Nick and I know absolutely nothing about it, sports bras. Um, ladies, find something that works for you. Um, there's a lot of options out there. If you've never been to Lulu or some other athletic fit place, or there are other places like Title IX and things like that, um, get fitted for one. 
uh, and working with women and helping them along, even though I don't understand, I can empathize with not feeling okay in the gym. So find what is comfortable for you and go to an expert. Like seriously, it's just like running shoes. Like find someone who can properly size you, find the right fit for you, because I promise you'll feel way more comfortable in the gym and not have to worry about things and all of that. Um, and it's super important for you because that's what we care about. So if you need a recommendation on that, talk to Robin, talk to us, some of the other ladies in the gym. I am sure they can help you find the right person for your, the proper sports bra and what that looks like. And yes, I am sorry they are a pain in the ass to take off once you're tired and out of breath and super sweaty. I get it. That is probably the biggest thing I'm complained to, <laughs> which is hilarious. He says he gets it, but he doesn't really get it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've had some trouble taking compression shorts off, so I just multiply it by 100 and go, okay, that's, that's probably true, what the sports true. bra feels like. That's true. All right. My next turn up, here. Up. Okay, let's go here. 10. Woohoo! This one. Ooh, I love this one. So, headband. Headband. If Robin was here, she would go, lip gloss, headband, workout, check. So, <laughs> Nick, what's up with the headband? I love headbands. Um, again, I get maybe two haircuts a year, three if I'm feeling um, spry. But <laughs> I think they're great. You don't want your hair in your face while you're working out. It gets annoying, especially, again, if you're doing a complex Metcon, lots of moving pieces. Uh, any distraction, you're just going to want to eliminate that from the workout as best you can. Uh, of course, it's always wonderful to have something that will absorb some of the sweat that starts pouring down your forehead, inevitably. Um, so yeah, if your hair is long and you need a headband for the gym, don't be afraid to go out and find a couple ones. Once more, polyester, spandex, they work fantastically. Yep. So headbands were one of my fantastic finds over the years, keeping the hair out of my face, sweat out of my eyes. Uh, for those of you who struggle with double unders and hair everywhere, it's an also great find and save. Um, for those of you on a budget with old t-shirts, you if you cut the sleeves off the t-shirt, they actually work pretty great for a headband. I joked that I was um, selling them for a while. If you brought me the t-shirt, I would make you the headband. <laughs> uh, so you'll see me with a couple of those here and there. And you will see when workouts get very challenging for me or I am dramatically finishing a workout, the headband will be the first thing off and slammed on the floor with authority or more fatigue and exhaustion but yes headbands are awesome so many cool designs out there so check them out look them out um and if you've made it through the podcast so far tell us if we should get a cfo headband Ooh. in one of our next merch purchases there you go all right nick all right next up number six gymnastic grips and gloves uh, so gymnastic grips are kind of like straps, but they what they go uh, backwards, right? They go the other way around the palm. Yep. So gymnastic grips. If you've ever seen a gymnast and you see them jump on the rings, they have these big white things around them. Now, the gymnastic grips we use in here don't have the little wooden dowel in them to help kind of hook you onto the bar or the rings, um, because most of us are not that skilled, so we don't need it. Gymnastics uh, is hard. But what they do, what gymnastic grips fundamentally do, is help prevent rips and tears of your calluses. So where you have them, they can help prevent that. Now, what you need to think about that is why are those rips and tears happening and at what cost? So one of the biggest things I tell people when training is, okay, it's cool that you got your first rip, but it's also the dumbest thing you can do in the gym because now you can't train with that hand for at least a week, if not longer, because every time you touch it, bloody it, it's gonna be a bloody mess everywhere and hurt like hell and good luck showering. So um, that's where gymnastics grips come in. But really they only come into place in kipping movements. So when you're swinging or moving on the bar, if you're doing a strict movement, you really should not need gymnastics grips. I actually don't use them at all when I do them. Um, but gymnastics grips are something I regularly use if we're doing toes to bar, kipping pull-ups, butterfly pull-ups, muscle-ups, I will have some gymnastic grips to kind of help protect my hands from tearing or ripping, um, which is really what they're used for. So you have to also watch how you use them with chalk and sweat because that will still create the same friction and cause the same problems, um, but they can definitely help prevent that and keep you on the bar a little longer if you've ever tried them. There are options all galore. Um, if you're really interested, let me know. I can help you find 15 to $20 ones on Amazon that work just great. You do have to replace them a little more frequently, but at that price tag, they're better than the $50, $60, $75 ones that I've seen online nowadays. 
Um, gloves, Nick. Gloves. Um, yeah, we're going to be real diplomatic about this, folks. Um, we are the biggest fan of gloves, at least between the two of us. So let me talk about that real quick, because this comes from a guy who wore gloves every football practice, every day in football. Rain, snow, sleet, and it protected my hands. That's different, though. Well, well, let me talk about it, because I was a big fan of them. Um, and you can ask my dad, the bruised palms, bruised hands, broken fingers. Gloves probably kept me having better hands than I do right now. That said, the worst, and I mean the most vicious, bloodied hands I've ever had in the gym, is from wearing gloves. Because the moment you start sweating with those gloves, and the moment you start creating friction with a metal barbell or a metal pull-up bar or a pair of rings or a rope, you have now created a leather surface, and sometimes not even leather, let's be honest, it's other types of fabrics that will rub harder and create greater problems for you. Let alone, you can't tell that that blister is forming and the blood is coming and the rip is happening until you pull the glove off and see the bloodiest mess you've ever seen or you go up and jump and can't hold on because you're like, why does my hand feel like it's on fire? So the reason Nick and I really don't like them is twofold. I think one is they're the quickest way to cause bigger calluses and bigger problems with your hands and not in the way that you're like, oh, I need a little bit of callus to help. Um, and two, they don't help strengthen your hands. So they disconnect your hands from what you're doing. And if you understand that, it really means that now you don't have a mental connection or a proprioception or an understanding of what's going on with your hands in time and space. So what happens there is now when we go to do movements, you're not using your hands to their full ability, which means your elbows and shoulders are now in a more dangerous position. So you can't figure out, oh, that's how I turn my pinky on and really grip the barbell because there's a cushion between your pinky callus and the bar. So even though you're squishing on it, you're actually not. Um, and those types of things and that feedback through your hands is super, super important. So I get it. We don't love the calluses. We don't love hurting our hands on the bar. We don't love the stinging. But I promise you, the glove is not the answer. The bigger answer is finding things that help. So Nick's been talking about shaving his calluses down. I'll shave mine down. There are products that can kind of help that nail files and just a little bit of brushing with that can help smooth those calluses out great. Ladies, if you're worried about having rough hands, there's things like um, Burt's Bees Hand Solve, other hand creams that allow the calluses to still be there, but it won't make you feel like, ugh, I have these gross, disgusting hands. Um, so you can kind of help back and forth there. So really, really think about that um, if you're going to use gloves. If you really, really want to, let's have a conversation because I think you'll find that there's a better option for you. Um, and this is all us trying to help you. Now, am I gonna rip the gloves off of you? No, I won't. But I really think we should have a talk before you really turn to them. They're the kind of one piece of equipment I really, really want you to think about using before you go and use it. And of course, just like always, you know, time and a place for everything, just like Ben was saying with football, you know, if you're out going for a super long bike ride, you're definitely gonna want some gloves on. Um, but again, the, the sensory feedback that you're missing out on a barbell, dumbbells, whatever it might be, uh, it's really important. And I know we've kind of used that term a couple times now, um, but you know, it really, really makes a difference when your hands are just right there on the bar. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm using gloves when I'm working in the garden. I'm using oh, yeah. gloves when I'm oh, yeah. <laughs> doing things on a ranch or things like that. Like, I get it, but <laughs> there's a time and a place. Yeah. So, understand that. Okay. Next up. I like this one. Seven. Ooh, Lucky man. seven. What we got? Tape. tape. Woo. <laughs> tape. Uh, so, tape is great. Uh, you know, back in football, I was a big uh, wrist taper. Um, <laughs> I did break my hand at one point too, so I had the whole wrist over the hand thing. You <laughs> had the club. I didn't have the whole club, but like you know that like bandage thing under my glove. It was it was the whole thing. Um, the tape you see most frequently in here is a lot of thumb tape on barbells for deadlifts. Which it's funny we just talked about all sensory feedback, and I will say the thumbs they don't need that much sensory feedback. It's nice to have those thumbs a little taped up and uh, just feel like you're a little more uh, gripped to that bar. Um, the last tape that we have written up on our board is that 
fancy schmancy KT physical therapist tape that so, Ben will love. Uh, kinesi, it's not kinesiology tape. It's like kinetic tape. I can't remember what it's called. It looks really cool. Um, but let me go back to the thumb tape. So thumb tape, I wear it every single time I Olympic lift because of the hook grip. Um, and there's two reasons why. I'm a sweater. So if I create that friction with chalk, my thumb, barbell, and hands, I will rub blisters in my hands and they, or thumbs, and they will become nasty blood blisters. To the point where I can't go lift. So I wear thumb tape to actually allow me to continue lifting. Um, people are like, well, just wipe your hands off and don't get so sweaty. I'm like, have you been in the gym? <laughs> have you seen me work? Like, there's, there's not much that's going to prevent that. So that's where the thumb tape comes in. If you've never tried it and you really struggle with the hook grip, it actually might help a lot. Um, but that said, if you're going to tell me I'm just grabbing a bar and I don't care, most of the time I won't put thumb tape on. Like for a good bit and then it's like, oh wait, we're going to do a bunch of clean and jerks. Okay, yeah, I got to go put that on. Um, the two things I will say watch with tape, if you're taping your ankles and you're taping your wrists, think about why. Um, because... I understand it a little bit in football, but there's a bunch of studies in basketball and football about ankle wrist support that are coming out now and talking about how maybe it's not the best idea to have this locked down foot and wrist um, in off-season training and practices and things like that. We understand it can be protective and really helpful for folks, but we lose ranges of motion, we lose ability and strength through those ranges of motion, and that's where we are to see really challenges. If you've ever watched me trying to get in the, um, the, the sit on your feet pose on the floor, I can't do it. And it's probably because I spent 10 years with taped up or braced ankles in football, basketball, and things like that. So my ankle extension is not so great, um, which I'm working on it. I'm doing things on it. You will not see me in a pair of high top shoes, except if I'm going out on the town and I got some sweet kicks. Other than that, um, <laughs> you're not going to see me in a pair of high tops. So just kind of understand that and understand what that does to your feet, hands and wrists and all that. Um, KT tape. So what KT tape is meant to do is pull on the fascia to create a supportive brace mechanism things like that. So you'll see people with KT tape around their knee, around their back, around their shoulder, and things like that. Um, it can be really helpful. Now, also understand why they might be doing it. Most likely it's in a competitive setting. So most likely they're dealing with an injury and trying to play through it. So I ask, if you are putting KT tape on to come train at the gym on a random Tuesday, why? Because it's not a competition here. We're not competing today. We're just trying to get better for 10 years from now, a year from now, all of those things. So really, really think about that when you're doing these things. Like, I'm not gonna put KT tape around my knee if it's bothering me just to go lift at the gym. I need to do the right movement to fix that problem instead of putting a bandage or literally tape over it. But if you're like, doc, this is hurting, and you're seeing a physical therapist, and they're like, hey, I want you to wear this around the house for the next couple days to just allow that muscle to calm down or give that knee a little bit more support. Fantastic. Follow that instruction, help that. Go to an expert who actually knows how to properly tape. Don't just try and do it on your own. Um, unless you are that expert, and then I guess you can do it on your own. But for the most part, understand that it is just a support mechanism. It's kind of like a knee sleeve. It's kind of like a wrist wrap. It's stuff like that but it is not an end-all be-all and it will not prevent the injury from getting worse, nor will it prevent the injury from happening or occurring. So understand that you can use it, but if you're having to literally do it to walk in the gym, we need to have a deeper conversation and help you through that instead of just trying to work around it. Cool. All right, I love it. <laughs> awesome. Down to the last three here, folks. All right, is it me or is it you? I think it's me. Okay. All right, number eight, shorts and pants. Shorts and pants. <laughs> Getting pretty simple in here, y'all. Uh, wear them. Wear them, <laughs> for sure. Hey, maybe if it's cold, you throw some pants on. It's good for the warm-up, in all seriousness. It will help you get that first initial sweat that you want. Uh, and yeah, when you're warming up, like I said, you want those muscles, i.e. warm. Pants will help with that. 
What's your saying, Nick, about spandex and polyester? What is it? More? more? The more, the more, the better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in an athletic so, setting, for sure. In an athletic setting, yes. So again, stretchy, better, help you move better. Um, I have done workouts in jorts. They're just not great. <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> They're not so fun. So be careful with the jorts, the tighter, like non-stretchy, extra frictiony fabrics. Um, but yeah, shorts can be great. Um, careful about their length. Um, yeah, I'm gonna leave it at that. Short shorts can be great, but sometimes they might get too short. So understand that. Um, pants, fantastic. I actually do most of my lifting in the fall, winter, early spring months in pants because I love the heat that it can create in my legs. Yes, I sweat a little bit more, but I feel way more warmed up. It's kind of my cheat code um, in here. Now, the funny part is I'll get up to my heavy sets and all of a sudden I need to take my pants off because I'm too hot and now I feel cold again. So it's a key balance there. Um, I rarely work out with pants in the Metcon because usually I'm dying of heat and sweat. But if I was coming in early in the morning or late at night, I definitely would bundle up with a pair of pants and then pop them off um, just to get kind of through the warm up and things like that and help me feel warm and good. It's actually kind of one of the things I watch in the morning when I'm warming folks up. All right, when are the sweatshirts coming off? When are the pants kind of coming off? Because that means we're finally getting warmed up and the body's feeling a little bit better, so. Yeah, it's a very subtle thing that us coaches look for, yeah. but it is very important. Um, the other thing is, have a pair of pants that you don't mind and shorts that you don't mind beating up. Because we're gonna beat them a little bit. You know, chalk, barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells, sweat, hopefully no blood and tears, but you know, it might happen. Um, so if they're your nice going out pants for athleisure wear, maybe think about not wearing them in the gym um, or buy a new pair so you can replace them. So just kind of understand that. Um, but there's lots of options out there. If you wonder or curious on like, hey, where did you get those sweet shorts? Come talk to us. We got brands, we got fun things, <laughs> discount codes, you know, all that fun stuff. So um, we can help you with shorts and pants. For sure. All uh, right. All right. These last two are, are big ones. <sighs> what do I got? Let's see. Oh, finally, finally, finally. Ah, that's a good one. It's got to come to the close with. Finale. All right. So belts, Ooh, belts. Nice. And we're not talking about big Texas belt buckles and belts, fashionable belts like that, or your Louis Vuitton belt and things like that. We're talking about lifting belts. So. You want to go or you want me to go, Nick? I can start this one. <laughs> so again, I'm sure y'all have noticed there's a theme to this podcast, and that theme has kind of been, you know, there's a time and a place for most things, and it's the same with belts. Um, if you are going to try to hit the biggest 1RM back squat deadlift you've ever attempted, a belt will help you create more abdominal pressure to better support that lift. What that belt will not do is prevent you from absolutely blowing out your back if it is a very ugly looking attempt. Um, ben said very uh, like a very good example earlier, and if you just put a belt on and try to touch your toes, I guarantee you you'll be able to round your back. Um, so again, those belts are great for assisting to create, like I said, more core activation, help you really brace and push into that belt, um, but it is not truly going to prevent injury or necessarily help you lift bigger weights. So let me talk about this because there's a lot of people who probably listen to this podcast or been in the gym and heard me bash belts and all this stuff. Uh, the biggest reason why I have a personal thought and belief that belts lead to more injuries than they do PRs. Um, having worn one, having watched a lot of people wear them, having worked with some really competitive athletes and people, most people are not lifting beyond their means without a belt on. The moment the belt comes out, sometimes the ego comes, I don't know what it is, um, and boom, the injuries come. So that's my fear you hear when I talk about belts and tell people not to use them. The other thing I look at, if you are wearing your belt and you are wearing it in between sets and then just going right in and squatting, you're not wearing it right. It should be so uncomfortable with that belt on, that you do not want to keep it on more than your set. If you can wear it in a conditioning workout, i.e. you're not just doing deadlifts, you're doing four other things and deadlifts, it's not on properly and it's not doing you any good. Yes, 
we understand that belts create a tactile feedback loop to create a brace. But if you cannot brace through your core to begin with, you're in deep trouble anyway. And that belt is not going to save you. Um, there is a hilarious commercial from CopperFit right now with Brett Favre and Jerry Rice where they wear CopperFit belts and they're literally just a fabric strap that goes around your waist and they go play football. Um, but the funniest thing if you actually watch the commercial is the whole time Jerry Rice talks about the core. He's like, yeah, having a great core, being strong through your core, being stable through your core. And I'm like, this is fantastic because it's teaching people what they should be working on instead of the belt. So I love the commercial because I'm like, oh, this is all the things you need to do so you don't have to wear this silly thing. So um, while I understand the love and affection for belts, I want you to look around your life. If you plan on doing a bunch of other things without a belt on, you probably don't need it to lift. I'm going to say it. Like, you probably don't need it. Um, if you're not going for a max, you probably don't need it. Now, I understand it. It's a heavy day. You're feeling fantastic. You've hit really close to your PR just recently. And you want to grab that belt for a little bit of comfort, a little bit of control, and maybe PR for the first time in a while. Go for it. Go for it. I get it. Go ham. Go do it. And the total, when we do the total, yeah, I'm going to be teaching people how to use belts who maybe haven't used them before, have, and kind of re-help people. But again, if you're not wearing it properly or you're not utilizing and actually bracing into it, and I don't just mean pushing out against it, I mean bracing down and into the belt, it's not worth your time and effort. Um, that's one of the biggest things if you watch actual people who compete with lifting and with belts on and gear, that is one thing they know how to do. Also, if you watch them warm up, they're not wearing a belt. They're warming up for a very long time before they grab that belt. And they're doing many sessions without a belt. Um, and what they find is that actually builds their core and their back so much stronger. So I really, really hope, like, if you want to use a belt, you've done those other things. Because a lot of times you'll think that that belt's going to solve the problem. And it doesn't matter because you don't have the leg strength. Or you don't have the lat strength to control the deadlift. Or you don't have the bracing mechanics to understand or utilize that belt properly. So you're not gonna make the lift and you're potentially gonna set yourself up for injury. So that's where you hear me coming from the anti-belt movement or you know, not loving it. But again, if you told me, Ben, I need you to squat the most you've ever squatted today, I'm finding a belt. <laughs> so I think that's where you just need, again, time and a place, what's the intention, what's the focus of the training, and following those lines will actually help you utilize that belt properly and actually make you successful. But if you're like, oh, it's 21, 15, dying, deadlifts and handstand pushups. Yeah, you don't need the belt. You don't. And even if you watch the games, understand that those people are utilizing that belt to save them from the volume of effort that they've put in. All right. So, so again, understand competition, volume of effort. We'd be lucky if we did one workout from the CrossFit Games or something like that in the gym. They've done five of those that day. Their midline, their posterior chain is blasted. So that is where the belt is trying to basically duct tape together the sail so they can keep moving the boat. So understand that and kind of think about that process when you're lifting. And I promise you, if you can do cycles without the belt, your squats, your deadlifts, your cleans, your snatches will go way up. And then the moment you put the belt on, it'll still work. So <laughs> it's a funny thing. The belt doesn't make you stronger. You get stronger. <laughs> so work without it. And then when it's testing time, bring it out. Totally. Cool. I love it. All right. Last but certainly not least. All right. Wrist wraps. Wrist wraps. Cool. I mean, I think this is kind of like a similar to the belt a little bit, just on a little bit smaller of a scale. Um, once more, wrist wraps, I mean, if this is news to you, I'm sorry, they will not prevent your wrists from tearing, breaking, anything like that. Um, they are there to provide a little bit of stability, but once more, if your wrist does not have the mobility or the range of motion to get into those, we're usually looking at like snatches um, or front rack stuff where they really need to extend and get into that like motorcycle throttle position. 
um, that is going to be a problem. If you just slap a wrap on there and be like, oh, this will help. Um, again, you're kind of doing a little more harm than good as opposed to actually dealing with the root of the problem. So this is one where I'll, I'll debate Nick a little bit here. Because um, having a wrist injury, the wrist wrap actually will help me. And this is why. Um, there are times when I need to make sure my wrist doesn't move. And this is where I can actually, because I have some cloth wrist straps, and I can tighten them down hard enough to where I legitimately can't move my wrist back. Um, on both sides. So the limitation on my left side is now matched with an artificial limitation on my right side. So I don't get myself into trouble. Now, the funny thing is, you will never see me put wrist straps on, except for probably a couple of things. Um, strict presses, heavy strict presses, heavy strict dumbbell presses, um, sometimes push presses, but we don't have enough heavy enough dumbbells for that. Um, handstand push-ups, and I mean like strict handstand push-ups, usually on a parallel or something. I'll do kipping ones with them too, but that's about it. I don't like using them in cleans because they don't help me. They actually make it worse. Um, I also don't like using them in snatches because they allow me to hide a bad shoulder position. So where, oh, my wrist supports and goes, and I go, oh, wait a minute. Um, I will sometimes use them in overhead squats to kind of hold my wrist in the right place. But again, this is where I've not warmed up properly and not opened my shoulders up or something like that, just to keep me in position. Um, and that's where I'll say a wrist wrap is slightly different than a belt because a wrist wrap can actually stop something from moving. It's the one piece of gear that I legit. Hey everyone, it's Ben. Uh, apologize, we had a little bit of technical difficulties here. You heard the podcast cut off there. We actually hit a timing limit on our podcast, so got, got some new things to explore with that tech, but that's good. Um, I wanted to wrap up our gear kind of conversation, debate, whatever you want to call it. So we were finishing up with wrist wraps. And the, the big thing I just want to drive home with them before I kind of wrap up the whole conversation here is the wrist wrap is just a bit slightly different and it can actually stop the movement of the joint, i.e. a belt's not going to stop you from bending around in your back or manipulating your back. A knee wrap or knee sleeve won't do that either, aka that's why you can squat in both of them and move through them. Um, Olympic lifting shoes, you can move through them, tape, gloves, all of that. You can still move through the range of motion. If you get a proper wrist wrap, um, you can actually stop the wrist from moving. It's interesting. It's kind of funny. Um, it's very similar to almost an ankle brace, but more like an ankle brace that literally locks down your knee or a knee brace that locks down your knee when you are fearing an ACL issue like you see a lot of professional offensive linemen and football players wear. Um, but they're not as kind of effective as you can actually make a wrist wrap. Now, the only times in which that's really, really important is potentially in like a bench press or a strict press and kind of the handstand push-up examples I gave uh, earlier. Most of the time when you see them used in cleans and snatches, we actually still want that flexion extension of the wrist. So we won't lock them down as hard as an immobile wrist because that's oftentimes why you see people break wrists. So we don't want that. Um, and that's okay. But we just, I just want to clarify that example there. And when you might actually think about using a wrist strap in a different way. Uh, of course, they can always use wrist straps kind of help support, give a little assistance there. But again, if you're not strengthening, stretching, and manipulating or using your wrist in the proper way, it's not going to help you. So think about that first. Kind of like we've talked through every piece of equipment here. The gear is there to assist and help. And it can. But for most of us, the lifelong goals are to do things outside the gym and feel better and move better outside of the gym. So if we can't do the lift, the movement, whatever in the gym without gear, we might want to examine and we might want to explore ways in which to figure out how to do that or change our body so we can do that um, because that's how we're going to be in life. Unless you plan on wearing wrist straps, knee sleeves, and other things to function in life, you want to make sure that you can do those things in the gym. And what we find is that actually leads to healthier joints, better lifts, stronger movement patterns, physical changes, physique changes, all of those things. So really think about that when you're going to use gear. 
if you have questions about should you buy gear, should you use gear, or what should it look like, all of those types of things, feel free to reach out to your favorite coach. Feel free to reach out to us via email, question, blah, blah, blah. We can help you with it. Um, bottom line is there's a lot of things in, involved with gym gear. Think about it before you just blindly use it. Make sure you know how to use it, and that'll keep you safe, healthy, and having fun in the gym, which is what we're really looking to do is figure out ways in which we can make the gym better for you and make you fitter, healthier, and happier in life. So hope you enjoyed this one. Let us know if you want to hear more of these or this was just incredibly long and too boring. Um, we're open to any suggestions. Thanks for listening, gang. Take care, and we'll see you next time.